thank you, worship team, for leading us in music and uh, singing out to our Lord. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I always feel weird when I'm, when I'm not doing that, but it's also a very good thing um, for me at least to be in the congregation with you guys singing out to the Lord together. So thank you guys for leading us this morning. Um, I'm going to continue in the, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Jerron two weeks ago uh, left off there, and so I'm going to continue where he was at. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke is really tells us right at the beginning of his book why he is writing this gospel. Um, he is writing an orderly account of the story of Jesus, and he says there's already witness, there's already accounts that have been written, but he wants to write one, and he's writing to a man named Theophilus, and he wants all of his readers to know, um, including us, 2,000 years later, who this is still absolutely relevant to, he wants us to know that the story of Jesus, it's true. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the one foretold by the prophets um, eons and eons ago, the one in whom all the promises of God find their yes, they find their amen. He was crucified, he died and was buried, only to rise again uh, three days later. In Jesus, there is the forgiveness of sins, there is new life, he is the risen king, he is the one who ushers in the kingdom of God. He will return in glory and make every wrong right. In Jesus, we truly, truly see the faithfulness of God. So let's continue uh, in, this, in this story that we're going through. This is Luke 1, 39. Uh, Gabriel has just appeared to Mary and told her, um, Behold, that you will have a son. He will sit on his, King David's throne. He will be son of the Most High. And then Mary, after this, after she accepts what God has told her, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. So verse uh, 39 in chapter 1. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, I love this, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. He leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has spoken to her from the Lord. Let's stop there. Uh, verse 41, I already noted it when we are reading through there, but it contains this wonderful occurrence. John the Baptist, in his mother's womb, leaps for joy. Um, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, it already notes earlier in the Gospel of Luke that John was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Um, but when John leaps for joy in his mother's womb, he's already doing his job as an infant in his mom's belly, his job, he is the forerunner, he's the one who points to Jesus, to points to who Jesus is and what he will do. And so when he is leaping for joy, he's saying, exclaiming, my Savior has come. And um, we see as we go through the Gospels that that's John's job. He is the one who points to Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Um, and then all the Gospels talk about John this way. They all quote Isaiah 40 in some way. Isaiah 40, starting at verse 3, says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway 
for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this is the book of Isaiah, and this, this prophecy was spoken, written down probably 700 years before the birth of John and Jesus. Um, and we see that after 700 years of longing, of waiting for the Messiah, God is faithful, and he sends one who points to the Messiah. He sends John. He's the one that points to the king that will bring salvation. And then in concert with the baby in her womb, um, Elizabeth also gives an exclamation of joy. Um, she is, too, pointing to the Savior, exclaiming that Jesus is the one who saves. God has already shown Elizabeth favor and mercy. In her old age, she has given her a baby. But how much more has God blessed Mary? Mary has been shown the favor of God. That's what, that one of the ways that we can talk about what it means to be blessed, is being shown the favor of God. She is blessed to carry the Savior of the world in her womb, the promise of ages. So in response to God's mercy and faithfulness and being stirred up by the joy of Elizabeth at seeing her Savior, Mary sings. Mary sings to the Lord. And this is at verse 46. Let's read there. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who has done, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So historically, uh, this, this song has a name. It's called the Magnificon. And the, the reason it's called that is because in the Latin translation, that would have been the first word it would have been magnify or where we get, so that's so a Magnificon. Um, and this has been a long history of this being turned into a song that people sing. And it, with this text, is just such a beautiful uh, song of praise that recalls so much of the Old Testament, too. Um, so this is a beautiful poem, a beautiful song, and it points towards the goodness and the faithfulness of God to his people. And uh, we see from this that Mary really knows her Old Testament. Almost everything in this song is in some way a quotation or an allusion to an Old Testament text. Um, particularly, it's an allusion to 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, which is where Hannah sings a song to God after um, becoming pregnant with Samuel. And Psalm 34, 2, um, my soul magnifies the Lord. But there's lots of other places where it's pulling from. And Mary uses the prayer of the, the people of God before her to shape her prayer. And we see that she shares in the great hope that the people of God had, the hope of Israel, the hope for a messianic king that would usher in the reign of God. Now, as we look at this text um, today as Christians, we might ask, now, how does this, how does this apply to us? You know, it's talking about Israel. 
Um, and it's, you know, how is this directly about Jesus? And I want to really focus in on that today. There's so much that we could pull from here. You know, the Gospel of Luke has a big theme of um, the reversal of roles with the, the humble being lifted up and the proud being brought down. Lots of different themes in there. But I want to focus on how does this apply to us as Christians um, and how is this speaking of Jesus? So let's look at the very end of the song, verse 54. says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Uh, so this verse is, re is referencing, it brings to mind the covenant that God made with Abraham in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. So let's, let's turn all the way back, open our Bibles to Genesis, and let's look at chapter 12, verse 1, all the way back there, the beginning of things. So uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, and this is before God had changed his name to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that last line there is, is very critical. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And families could maybe you could say tribes or nation or tongue. The, the scriptures use a lot of different words to describe all the peoples of the earth. Here we see that. So here we see that God promises to make a great nation out of Abraham, um, and that through him and his offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And another spot in Genesis, God kind of continually renews and is talking to Abraham about the covenant throughout Genesis. But let's turn to chapter 26. And this is where God um, is talking to Isaac, Abraham's son, and he is confirming that covenant there. 26.4 says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So God promises once again to make a great nation, a nation that will inherit the promised land, and from this nation will come a blessing for all the earth. And as we continue through the Old Testament, um, we see these promises to Abraham are fulfilled in the, with the nation of Israel, um, partially at least with the nation of Israel, God starts to fulfill his promises that he had made to Abraham. He rescues the descendants of Abraham out of slavery in Egypt. Um, and part of Mary's song really references this verses. Uh, so Luke 1, 51 and 52, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And uh, so this is, in many ways, could be speaking of the Exodus story. Um, so we see that God is faithful to his promise to make a nation from a group of slaves, a nation that will eventually conquer the promised land for their own possession. And as God creates the nation of Israel, he calls them to be 
a kingdom of priests. This is something that's very special. And this is in Exodus 19.6. There's many different references. Um, but what does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? It means that as a nation, they're supposed to do a priest job. They're supposed to represent God to the world. Um, and just a little aside here, First Peter and the book of Revelation both use this exact same language of the church. Um, and this tells us about the nature of what it means to be the people of God. As the people of God, we are called to, we are exist for God's glory, we are called to glorify him, and we exist for the sake of others. We exist, as Jay was talking about, to share the light of the world, to share Jesus with others. We don't exist for ourselves, we're not like some insider's country club, so to speak, but we are um, for God's glory, and we exist for the sake of others. Um, so back, back, back to the story here, um, the, going throughout the Old Testament. The story of God's faithfulness all throughout the Old Testament. So God is faithful. He fulfills the promises that he has made to Abraham. He's going to fulfill the promises that he has made to Abraham. But God's faithfulness is co contrasted with the unfaithfulness of humanity. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. This includes the Israelites who eventually were exiled from the land because of their idolatry, um, you know, worshiping false gods, and that's commonly, it's confusing sometimes, but the idolatry, worshiping false gods, is also spoken of as adultery against God. And then the second thing that they were really exiled for was injustice, uh, which included things like sacrificing their children to idols, taking advantage of the poor and marginalized, and the sexual immorality. And usually we see in the Old Testament that the, the sin of idolatry of worshiping other gods is tied in with these other sins. They, they go together. Um, so both of the nations eventually are exiled from the land. And after the Babylonian exile, um, some Jews were allowed to return to the land. But almost always they were under the control of another foreign power, of the world power at that time. So even though often they were in their own land, you could say they were exiles in their own land. The Spirit of God had not returned to the temple even when they built it, um, and they were under the control of foreign powers. So even when they were in the land, they were a people that were crying out to God to fulfill his promises, to give them back the land, to send the promised Messiah, the one who would make everything right and set up the perfect reign of God on earth. And Mary, in her song... She acknowledges that this baby in her womb is that Messiah, is the chosen one. And Jesus, all the promises made to Abraham long, long ago, all those promises will find their ultimate fulfillment. This blessing, um, this blessing to the nations that Jesus is the fulfillment of is not just for the nation of Israel, it's for all nations. Just later in the book of Luke, um, let's turn there, and we're going to probably hang out there for the rest of the time. But Luke 2, Simeon, when he sees, when he sees Jesus, he has he has his own song. Uh, Luke two, verse thirty. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. So God's plan from the beginning. Um, has been about Jesus, but it's from the beginning has been to bring redemption to the nations and the whole earth from the seed, from the offspring of Abraham. 
Galatians 3.16 tells us that Jesus is Abraham's true offspring. He is the true son of God, the one who shows us most truly and fully the character and the faithfulness of God. Uh, and even more, because of Jesus' saving work, because of what he has done, we too can be called the offspring of Abraham, inheritors of the great blessings God has promised. Galatians 3.29 says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We are the spiritual heirs of Abraham. Think of that, that song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had father. Right, that's, that's what that song is about. <laughs> Um, so anyone, anyone that is in Christ, rejoice along with Mary, magnify the Lord. God has sent salvation to Israel, but also to the rest of the world with the coming of the Messiah. Um, with the coming of the Messiah, Jesus talks about what it means when the Messiah comes. And later on in the Gospel of Luke, he says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. This is what it means when Messiah comes. So with Mary, let's rejoice. The king has come, and he will come again. God has been faithful and will continue to be faithful into the future. And so Mary's song is really in response to the faithfulness of God. She sees that all throughout history, God has been faithful to what he says. And with this baby, he is being faithful. He is fulfilling the promises that he has made. And I just, just go through a couple of kind of key takeaways that we can look at from um, Mary's song, especially considering the faithfulness of God. So God is always faithful, but his timing and his ways are not our own. We know that we can trust God, even if we don't understand the timing, if we don't understand his ways. Um, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, this is a famous verse that says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if we think about the story of Christmas and the story of the coming of Jesus, probably almost no one or nobody in Israel was looking for a gentle and a lowly Messiah. One that would come as a servant to die on a cross. Um, but what seems like folly, what seems like foolishness to the world is the wisdom of God. What seemed like defeat the death on a cross is actually the ultimate victory. It is our victory in Christ. So we can trust in God and his faithfulness like Mary did even if we don't understand, even if we don't see all of the details, we know the big picture, what God is doing, that he is faithful, that we can trust him. Um, and then second, you know, how does Mary respond to the faithfulness of God? What is the correct response to God's faithfulness? And it's to sing. It's to worship. <laughs> With Mary, we can say that my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So we worship in response to God's kindness to us. We sing because of our salvation, our rescue from sin, wrath, and death. We sing because of the good things God has blessed us with. Even, you know, we have our salvation, but even the small things in our life, what a blessing children are to have food on the table, roofs over our heads, so many things that we can praise God for. We sing because God is worthy of it. Amen. <laughs> 
And lastly, um, because God is faithful, we can with confidence share about his goodness and his love with others. We know that his word is true. He always keeps his promise. Therefore, we can proclaim the gospel with confidence because we know it is the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because we can trust God. We can live lives of sacrifice and service to those in need because we know that it is better to give than to receive. And when Christ told us that it was, we would find our lives by losing them, we know that he is telling the truth. We know that he knows better than we do. We can trust in God. He is faithful. He is good. What he says is true. So what can we say? We know that God became man in Jesus Christ to dwell among his people, to save them from their sins. We know that he loved us enough to die on a cross so that we may share in his life, life eternal. We know that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, and now he is victorious over the powers of darkness. We know that he calls us into this great story, this story of redemption, of renewal, to proclaim his victory to a lost and dying world that sorely needs him. And we know that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. He will make every wrong right and make all things new. Evil will be judged. Death will be done away with. We can say all these things are true because we know that God is faithful. He's been faithful before. He will be faithful again. We can trust in him. So take heart. When you're downtrodden, when things aren't going your way, remember the story of God's redemption. Remember that God is faithful. Um, and remember that his story of redemption has taken place over eons and eons and generations. His timing is not our timing. Look back to remember the suffering people that rejoiced when they heard of the Savior come. And remember that even in our, in our sufferings and our hard times, that God is not far away. He is near. He dwells among his people. He will never leave you or forsake you. Magnify the Lord with Mary and sing his praise. He is just. He is good. He is faithful. Lord God, um, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you before the world was created, that you had a plan to redeem your world, Lord God, to save people for your own self, Lord God. We praise you and we thank you for your grace in our lives, Lord God. You are so good. You are so worthy of praise, Lord. Lord, as we go about our daily lives, may we look and see your faithfulness in big things and small, Lord God. Help us to see how you are working in our lives, Lord God. And even during hard times, may we cry out, and know that you are true, you are just, you are good, Lord God, that you are worthy of praise, that you are faithful to what you have said, that what you have said will happen, will happen, Lord God, that you can be trusted, Lord God, even when we don't see all of the details, Lord God. We know that you are bringing things to your end, that you will make all things new, Lord God. We pray in your name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's people say, Amen. Well, you couldn't get away with me without singing a little bit. So <laughs> we're going to sing in response. We're going to sing part of Psalm 34, which is where Mary draws the line. Um, My soul magnifies the Lord. So I'll, I'll sit down at the piano. You guys will stand up, and we will sing together to the Lord.
to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen